Hello, this is the Kaiju Transmissions podcast again. I am your host, Kyle Bird, and uh, I have my co-host here. Matt Parmley. Yes, who uh, I believe is alcohol-free tonight, (laughs) um, which is probably for the best. Um, And it's October, so I guess we are officially in, in the October... Uh, horror horror movie swing of things here. Um, so of course that means uh, Tom is back, right? I am. I'm back. Yeah, you're. I was thinking I, people were asking if I'm back if I was going to be back. And oh and yeah, yeah. That, I'm thinking I'm back. That's an old <laughs> that's an old if it bleeds bit too. <laughs> I, I guess we stole it from John Wick, but. Whatever. Yeah, you guys invented it. <laughs> Speaking of, of if it bleeds, <laughs> which is my my old podcast, I am joined by my good friend uh, uh, and co-host of of that podcast, Trev. Welcome back. It's good to have Thank you. you. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. It has this time wasn't too long in between. We did the uh, you know yeah, the uh, Starship Troopers, Starship one? Troopers. Yeah. Yep, but uh, uh, but I was I'm very pleased to be back for Halloween, which of course is a special time for all of us. Yeah. Um, Do you think this time, if you tell Bird to end the episode with a song, he'll use that song? No, he will not. He no. Will not. Can I end this episode with the Starship Troopers song? <laughs> you should. Yeah. <laughs> a guy on our. Uh, on our Facebook comments on that episode, even said like, "Hey, why, why, you, why, where, why didn't you? End, you should have ended with the song." And he even posted like a link to it. And you know, I dropped the ball, guys. I dropped the ball. Um, so if you guys, you guys, I take it. I mean, I know this, but the 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 folks out there don't know this. But yes, you guys are all in the the like binge watching horror movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep terrifyingly so <laughs> yeah tom's out of control i've been following him on letterboxd he's watched like what 306 movies by now or something right yeah <laughs> it, 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 in in fairness it goes back to august 16th i did a thing in august where um i realized that sleepaway camp two and three were on amazon prime and i had never seen them and sleepaway camp one was on sale for like was it 7.99 or something like that the blu-ray mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I bought that. I rewatched it, and then like the day after that, I watched two and three, and then I was like, just kind of kept it going. And then all of a sudden, it was like September tenth or something, and I was like, I've watched like between one and five horror movies a day, every single day. I'm just gonna keep this going. Yeah. yeah. The fun thing too is that Tom and I are watching like a lot of the same movies, but at different times. So it feels like there's some that I watch first, and there's some that you watch first, and it's always fun seeing. Uh, catching up and seeing, well, did I like the one he liked or no or what? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I I usually start watching things relentlessly, like more towards the like the middle of the month. So I'm probably going to start doing that soon. Um, there's only a few more things I need to watch for our October run for this show. And yeah, there I have a big list of stuff that I want to try and watch. Um, but yeah, we're we're all on Letterbox. We all follow each other on Letterbox. And yeah, Matt like. He'll watch a horror movie, then he'll watch, like, four X-Men movies or something. <laughs> then he'll watch, like, uh, like Back to the Future or, I don't, or something. Or, yeah, his, his is a little uh, more 
unconventional. He says he watches like Terminator Two and calls that a Halloween it's, movie. It, it counts. I'm counting it. <laughs> you can make a case for the first one. That's that's kind of a horror movie. There was that night where I was like, what are you going to watch next for Halloween? Close Encounters? And he's like, that's a good idea. And then he did. He's like, oh, man, what you... being sarcastic, man. What you... I did do that. I know. <laughs> um, well, we're here to talk about two exploitation films uh, from... Are we going to skip over the, the Blu-ray news from SRS? Oh, well, yeah, we can talk about that. Um, and most people are going to not know what we're talking about. Um but yeah, SRS, the independent label, has weirdly picked up the Blu-ray rights to The Flying Monster. And anyone out there that's saying, what the hell is The Flying Monster? It's an eight, 1984 Korean giant monster movie that uh, was basically, they filmed their own stuff and then... F- threw in a bunch of crazy like sequences from Return of Ultraman and stuff and it's something that I don't think has been released on video anywhere definitely not here but I, it's one of those things that everyone just figured was lost to time um like uh to give a point of uh uh reference for Trev it's 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 very much a Godfrey Ho style like just film crap and throw a bunch of footage from other stuff in it. Kind of. So this isn't Flying Monster 3D, a 2010 documentary by David Attenborough. No, but that would be an. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> why did David Attenborough make? I I hope he made a documentary about an actual flying monster. Uh, it looks like it's about uh, flying dinosaurs. Okay, you know that's close enough. I'll allow it, Attenborough. Um. So that was the really bizarre news that, uh, you know, well, I mean, it was pleasant. You know, it was probably needed because... It was was unexpected. (laughs) Is SRS the kind of company that will will load it with extras and stuff, too, or...? Uh, Depending on what they have. I don't know what exists for this, but... Yeah. um, He won't won't make any extras. mm -hmm. Uh, The the guy, Ron, the guy who, you know, releases them, he he doesn't have really the, the, uh, the equipment... Or anything to like make an extra, but if he's like if he, you know, reaches out to the the owners of this and he's like, what do you what do you got for extras, trailers, whatever? Like he'll throw, like when when um when he released the Idol, which is uh, Norman England's movie. Norman was like, here's my behind the scenes stuff. Here's a commentary. Here's the the score isolated un- unto itself. Like here's just everything and. So they put it all on the disc. They put out a uh, House Shark, Trev. Okay, I, I have House Shark. Yeah, so. and and the guy that runs the label actually directed House Shark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, I, we, well, we, I shouldn't say that I bought House Shark and I've not watched it yet. But yeah. It's sitting <laughs> on my shark shelf. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, it that 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 it's an honor to be a. Uh, in the in the shark collection, at, at we your were just place. talking about this earlier. I, I I have a whole shelf of nothing but shark movies, and I just any any shark movie I see that is relatively cheap or whatever, I I usually pick them up, and then I'll get around to watching them. We usually <laughs> I usually wait till I'm back in town, and, and Bird and I and our buddies can watch them. Yeah, um, I'm I'm looking at screen grabs of Flying Monster right now, and I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing. This. <laughs> um. Oh, some some Halloweeny news that I mean I don't know how much there is to say, but it, at least is in the spirit of of the season. Um, is right now, from what I understand, Takashi Miike is 
uh, rolling on the a sequel to the Great Yokai War. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, which uh, I I'll watch the hell out of that. Oh when it comes out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think Matt is the lone dissenter on that movie. Uh, I, he's the only person I've met that's like, it's yeah. it's dumb or something. And you know what? I'm like, you know, well maybe the movie thinks you're dumb. It probably does, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I that I think that's pretty exciting. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel like talking about. I mean, I guess the big the big thing right now that is causing a stir, not only in like our necks of the woods, but just in the in nerddom right now, is is the Monster Hunter trailer, which looks fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't. I'm, I don't know anything about the games. Uh, so I, I played the game. I played the uh, Monster Hunter World, the most recent game. And like, I don't understand what people are upset about. So Matt, as the honest. as the ambassador of Monster <laughs> Hunter, the game, uh, can you maybe explain what the big like what what is the, what is the disconnect between the movie and and the. That's what's getting the fans of the game because the game's huge. People love this. One of the biggest games. Uh, people are very kind of like up in arms, which I don't know. It's hard to adapt to video games, but I also don't know much about it. The 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 game's premise is that it's basically this fantastical world set with like hunters, and they're they're you're living in tandem with monsters and hunting them and, and using them for you know food and different things. So like it's just monsters exist, and and there are these there are these hunters. There's more to it than that, but like and the people that are upset about this are mad that it's like none of that it's basically oh a military gets pulled into another world and happens to be the monster hunter world and have to deal with the monsters and so they feel like it's not uh it's not authentic to the source material or whatever so that that's what they're griping about which so this movie is like a uh this movie is like a reverse masters of the universe (laughs) yeah i was thinking that (laughs) because yeah they always do that thing like when they have no money they're like oh well we'll just take these characters from this fan- fantastical world and put them into, yeah. you know, New York or whatever. Oh, you love Sound of the Hedgehog? I bet you want to see them in, like, Los Angeles, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's a Smurfs movie where they're in Smurf... I don't know what their place is called. Smurfland nope. or whatever. <laughs> they're, Isn't it just Smurf Village? Yeah, they're there for, like, five minutes, and then they're in New York. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing that they got that they nailed was like the, all of the monster designs are dead on the weapons are dead on like all all that stuff is is very true to form so like considering the budget's pretty limited comparatively speaking i mean i think it's like 60 million which is you know for like a large scale kind of movie you weren't going to be able to get a true to the game kind of kind of film anyway like i i it looks fun. Like I'm intrigued. We'll see what happens. I think it's just the I think it's just the Paul W S Anderson of it all, right? And you know, yeah. The, that, yeah, well, yeah, the that, other, there, right? there's a factor there too. Well, he, but he uh, also like, you know, it's not like, like was the Resident Evil podcast part of If It Bleeds? Yeah, yeah. That that. If I don't know, is if it bleeds still out? Yeah, in the uh, yeah, people. Can, yeah, you can still get them. Yeah, and so, uh, and go so, find if it bleeds. We can kill it. The podcast. Listen to the uh, Resident Evil episode we did, and you will hear that um, not all of us out there <laughs> think those movies are catastrophes. Well, yeah, that was me, you, Trev, and and Forbes, Rob Forbes, and I was like the one guy that was like, "Hey, these are like." 
really dumb <laughs> you guys are like you guys are all about him i well, no, is, the difference it, is we were all we were all like yeah it's really dumb but that's but it's awesome that's yeah the difference. there were a I, the, I like in hindsight they all blend together really but there were maybe there were maybe two or three out of that what six or seven of them that i i did have a, a decently good time with but uh, not enough that i would like buy them or anything it is interesting though uh like legendarily insane right it is that is interesting though that uh this is a has a budget of 60 million um do you think that that does like i mean for whatever people say about resident evil like the box office of resident evil earns him that right like he gets like that and like putting the the same you know obviously it's his wife but putting the same leading lady in there like that that was a successful franchise so i think that gets him some clout especially for another big video game property and obviously capcom obviously gets along with them right hey in, in, in 2020 is, in 2022 60 million might be like a mega ultra yeah budget yeah, we don't and it, it, it's interesting <laughs> the too because like um looking at the production companies i mean it's a sony and sony screen gems title but um you know it's it's co-produced with tencent which is a big uh chinese company impact pictures constantine film and yes believe it or not toho uh those are the 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 guys funding this and so everyone kicked in and it's still like 60 million so that does also lead me to believe that no one would greenlit if all these studios some of which are major like scrap together 60 for this no one would greenlit like a 200 million dollar monster hunter movie you know so i it, it's one of those things where like i don't know if if they would be able to make something that's like truly game accurate with what they have. And it definitely seems like a movie made for it's, it's not a movie made for the American market as much as it's made for international market. Mm, uh, you can yeah. just tell it from like the simplicity of the story and then, you know, you know cast, throwing, like, yeah. throwing Tony jaw in it. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's good news for them because it's probably only going to be shown in theaters in the international market. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the four theaters that are open in December <laughs> that haven't gone under are... We'll, we'll I, I will play. say the, the first thing I mentioned after watching the trailer was... Um, so I think it looks really fun, too. You know, again, like, I'm, I'm fully expecting it to be dumb but enjoyable. Um, but I was really blown away by how crisp the action looked and just the fact that they were... Like, most of the, the giant monster action was in the daylight, which is something I keep begging the monster verse boys to do uh, i mean i skull island did it but yeah. the, the two godzilla films so far still continue to put most of their action in rain and darkness and i was just happy to see oh look and it looked good too like they they the cgi looked effective so. it did it looked really nice yeah. well, and, the, and it was you could take it in yeah you know it was it was watchable it wasn't well, it didn't it doesn't look like it's edited like you know well, yeah with, even that because i yeah. the last resident evil movie Anderson fell into that trap, right? Of the doing shaky that, like, cam thing. Yeah, yeah, the shaky cam crazy edits, and it really obscured a lot of the action. Um, so Is that I don't over know. now, finally? I hope so. <laughs> Seems like that's a trend that has I think, it, I think it's at least over in terms of it being like a default setting, right? It, it's I think it's still used occasionally uh, as a stylistic choice, and I think... When you see it used a lot of times these days, more often it's it's you know because you're supposed to feel like a chaotic inability to follow something, but like mm-hmm. as a default, 
st- setting for for a action sequence. I think it's yeah, it's on the outs. Good, thankfully. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I have no opinion since I'm not connected to that series, and, you know, I, I'm not, I, it could be fun, I'm not ready to say it's, you know, whatever, but, you know, I... I Fans were pretty pissed that they used a fire sword against a fire monster or something well, yeah, I guess, on the... I guess in the... I guess, <laughs> like, the oh, yeah, yeah the monster on the poster, <laughs> fire is, like, the thing that is weakest against him. Because I guess he's a fire monster. I don't know. I, Matt, is that a fire monster? The the whole the whole deal with that is like the the monsters have ele- it, it's a whole el- elemental damage thing in video games. So you use different elements against different monsters to inflict more damage, and he's resistant against fire. Yeah, but like I'm sure that was just an aesthetic choice. Like, hey, it's gonna glow red and look like fire, and it looks cool. Yeah. Like that's probably all that went into it. Do you think anyone making these movies gives a shit? Like, <laughs> no, absolutely. Not. <laughs> also, I mean. Ultimately, I don't think the majority of the audience does either. Like that's yeah. the thing that the no, fans have to realize. Like as long as M- Miljovich p- punches a dragon in the face, I think most people are going to be happy. <laughs> and I mean, that's the. Po- I mean, movie posters do dumb stuff. I mean, that could just not even be something from the movie. Like the poster is just like a images photoshopped together in like like every poster these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it, it, that could be anything. Like, uh, like. There, some of the movie posters we've gotten for like, like some of the X Men movies and stuff aren't necessarily accurate to, to to the events in in the in the films. Like, I always think of that uh, that Days of Future Past poster that looks like Professor X is like exploding out of the background. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So wait and see, people. Honestly, if theaters are as dead as I've heard, like I might go to a theater and and see, like theater. If theaters are as slow as people are saying, like they probably are safer than like grocery stores. Like, like uh, you know, I I work in a gym, as some people listening may know, but you guys know, and like it's so slow, and we like obsessively disinfect everything and we're like really strict on mask wearing and it's like i'm at the point where like i feel safer there than like when i go to the grocery store and like half the people aren't even wearing masks and like people are just touching stuff and it like feels like i'm walking into a battlefield like it doesn't feel like that so i mean that's to make this into like a cdc podcast i think the concern <laughs> i think the concern of the theater is that unlike a grocery store you're, you're just sitting in one spot yeah. for like 90 minutes as potentially these, this thing like circulates through the air because yeah. somebody in the a couple rows behind you decided to take their mask off as soon as yeah. the movie started well yeah and the, the concessions thing is like like when i'm at work like yeah. even even when people are exercising at the gym like we have to tell people like you have to keep this on you you can't take it off so like that's the other thing is like uh i think in theaters like if you get popcorn or whatever like you obviously don't aren't gonna ha- be wearing your mask and you're not gonna be made to so i think that's another thing <clears throat> i don't know man time it's uh, real everything about reality is so weird now <laughs> like <laughs> i like i'm really just at a loss for words at like where we are now versus a year ago for uh, many reasons but yeah pandemic life is definitely something nobody was uh expecting um 
So let's let's not talk about now, and let's talk about late '60s, early '70s Japanese cinema. Um, so we're gonna talk about two movies from Teruo Ishii, who is a relatively prolific director, and I have some notes on him and a few notes on these movies to go over. But we're we're gonna talk about. Uh, <clears throat> Horrors of Malformed Men, which was 1969, and Blind Woman's Curse, 1970. Um, and uh, I'll do all my yapping, and then we'll we'll cut to the the actual movie. Um, so Taro Ishii is one of, I guess, what you would call one of the forefathers of. Uh, Japanese exploitation films, you know, when you think about uh, guys like Takashi Miike and Sayan Sono and Shinya Tsukamoto, uh, you know, he, he's the one that kind of paved the way for the, and influenced those guys. Um, he's a favorite of Quentin Tarantino, to the surprise of nobody. Um, and uh, just some condensed history on him. Um <clears throat> He started working at Toho in 1942. Um, he uh, went to be a photographer in the war, and later he would join Shin Toho, which is a separate studio formed after a, a labor union strike at Toho. Um, and he was uh, an assistant director to Mikio Narase and Hiroshi Shizumi, who are considered two of the best Japanese filmmakers of that time period. Um, he also studied screenwriting under Shinichi Sekizawa, who wrote uh, many of the Showa Godzilla movies. Um, so he had uh, a decent mentorship with those guys, and he would gain popularity working on Shintoho Space Giant serials, which was Japan's first celluloid superhero. Uh, in the U.S., those serials were condensed into things like Evil Brain from Outer Space, Attack from Space, Atomic Rulers of the World, uh, I think those are, are those public domain? I don't know, they, they show up in cheap DVD sets all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, the first Japanese tokusatsu hero predating Moonlight Mask and, uh, uh, what's the other one? Skull, Matt, what's the skull one? Skull face, uh, skull head, what? <laughs> the Golden Bat! I'm no help right now. The Golden Bat. Oh, that was close. close. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he, he, has, he wears a mask that's like a skull. You know what? <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he does, Bert, I, you've seen it. You understand what Bert's saying. But yeah. Yeah. Um, when Shintoho went under, he uh, became a freelancer. That's all in the early '60s, um, and uh, most of his movies would be made at Toei. Um, he, where he did several comedies, and then he went into making uh, these exploitation movies. Um, uh, one of them was called Shogun's Joy of Torture, which kickstarted an eight-film series about Japan's history of torture. Um, those, along with the two movies that we are talking about today, kind of led to into Japan led led them into the uh, the pinky violence. Um, 
subgenre, which kind of was followed closely by Roman, the Roman porno stuff, which was like softcore sex stuff. Um, now, Trev, you you have some, at least some uh, familiarity with with the pink pink films, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a- you want to kind of just briefly kind of talk about what that is and. Well, I mean, the, the like the Pinky Violence oh, it's films. All about it, you pervert. <laughs> but it, I mean, I have to be honest. That's pretty much it, right? It's uh, you know, when I, when I was younger and I was first getting into um, exploitation cinema, it really was kind of just doing that dive into finding all the different subgenres and everything, um, and you know, investigating the worst of the worst with stuff like Nazi exploitation and. And then investigating the stuff that's maybe a little less aggressive, like <clears throat> exploitation and stuff. And then, of course, getting into the international market and finding, uh, you know, like stuff like pinky violence. So for me, like the the pinky violence, when I, when I hear that term, I tend to think of um, generally exploitation films that kind of primarily follow female leads, usually like badass female leads, um, biker gangs, uh, girl gangs, uh, but definitely a, a mix of sex and violence. Um, a lot of nudity, uh, uh, the violence, of course, over the top, you know, if someone gets stabbed, it's a geyser of blood. Um, and a lot of like kind of, um, crazy psychedelic visuals. Um, we'll talk about that with some of the, with both the movies today. So just kind of a more extreme, you know, they, they definitely feel a product of the sixties and seventies. Um, but they definitely, they have a different feel than like the Roger Corman kind of exploitation, um, they definitely have, you know, they're still kind of steeped in like some cultural norms that are not super apparent to, you know, an American audience. I'm, I'm, I know watching them before and I, we'll talk about that today with some of these. Like there's some plot elements where they might not connect to you as much if you're not super aware of all that. But uh, but if you love beautiful ladies disrobing and slicing each other up with swords, then it's a good time. <laughs> and it, it, it is... Uh... And, and I, I do think it's worth noting, like, th- this sounds, I mean, if these movies are crazy, they sound crazy, but, like, in the, by the time this period rolls around, like, late 60s, early 70s, like, the Japanese film industry is more or less dead, you know, I, TV has taken over, um, so a lot of these studios, the only way they really are able are like keeping the lights on is by making these crazy exploitation movies because they're cheap. People will go see them, and like in the case of a studio like Toei, I mean, so much of their output, seventies output, is stuff like that. Nikatsu ended up, <clears throat> I think, making exclusively Roman porno, which is you know kind of a, a little sub branch of that which is you know softcore sex films for mm-hmm. a long time <clears throat> so yeah like this is like the stuff that kept a lot of studios running well i think of like for audiences at the time too like you know with like the the, the corman films then the, and then the pinky violence wave of this point um it really was the only place you could get like badass female action stars you know like um that's not something obviously hollywood picked up on for a long time allowing women to be the lead in action films so these these girl gangs and everything that were you know and then you have like christina Lindbergh doing the swedish ones and things like that it's if you wanted to see those kind of characters you had to turn to these films yeah yeah um uh for sure and uh you know that's what a lot of taro ishii's output wound up being you know these exploitation movies uh he retired at the end of the 70s uh he came back and did some uh 
direct-to-video stuff in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, in Japan, direct-to-video was like, that was like almost their equivalent to like the 90s indie scene here. Like that's where people started to go to make like original and like striking content. Uh, and then he passed away in uh, 2005 due to uh, cancer, I believe lung cancer. Um, so yeah, let's talk about these movies. Uh, the first one is fairly notorious um, and uh, probably maybe not for reasons that people uh, might assume, but uh, horrors of malformed men, which is 1969 um, that is a Toei film, <clears throat> and uh, it's based on a novel by Itagawa Rampo, who is a pretty well-known Japanese horror writer. Um, I'm sure this is the first of what is probably going to be several movies that we'll talk about on this podcast, um, not this specific episode, but I mean just in the future, because his stuff's been adapted, and he's fairly well-known. Um, his... Oh my gosh, hello? What is yeah. that? What is happening? Is someone, like, getting in a helicopter? <laughs> I don't hear that. It might be you, Trev. Well, it's gone now. Yeah, maybe, Trev, maybe it was you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there was this, like... That was there was, Yeah, that I was... I muted myself to make sure it wasn't me. <laughs> I swear, I'm alive, I swear. <laughs> okay, you didn't get, like, body snatched or something? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Itagawa Rampo, famous Japanese horror author. His real name's Taro Hirai, uh, but his pen name, Itagawa Rampo, is uh, after his favorite horror writer. Does anyone want to take a guess at who that might be? I, I know the answer to this. I know the answer as okay. well. Okay. <laughs> well, Edgar Allan Poe. You guys are no fun. Anyway, say his name real quick, and you might get something that sounds kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. But yeah, it's it's almost like a the Japanese phonetic pronunciation of Edgar Allan Poe. So there you go. Um, his short story, The Caterpillar, was banned by uh, when the government saw it as a negative, being negative towards the war effort, uh, because it is a story about a soldier that comes back from the war without uh, the ability to. I don't. I don't. I, I might be getting this partially confused with the movie that Metallica used for the music video for one, but it's basically the same idea, right? This the soldier comes home uh, with with no arms or legs, and I, I don't remember if he he can speak or see or hear, but he's basically just uh, uh, a limbless. Uh, person that his wife struggles caring for um which yeah for the imperial japanese might not have been the best story to to see published in the middle of world war ii um it did get a movie adaptation i'd be interested in watching that but uh yeah uh, tom do you remember the name of the movie that metallica used for the one video johnny got his gun johnny got his gun it's a famous it's a famous novel too okay i should watch that now there's a double feature <laughs> I'm sure I'll feel great uh, after uh, watching the, the novel. Like that. The novel is actually by Dalton Trumbo. Okay. <clears throat> um. Anyway, yeah, I, I think this is a title that if you're in the you know niche group that would know about it, uh, the name might uh, the reputation probably precedes it. Uh, I know Trev <laughs> was like when when I told him why it was actually. 
uh, under a studio-imposed ban from Toei, he was like, oh, well, that that's not that exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's not because it's so extreme that you won't believe it or... Or whatever. It, it was because it, it came out. From what I understand, it didn't do very well. And after about a week, maybe two, uh, it was pulled because there was backlash because of the taboo topic of of deformity in Japan. Um, the the word uh, kike in the title, which is transform. The English title is transform. Translates that word to malformed. Um, but in Japanese, it's more comparable to the word freak more, so it's seen as, you know, kind of offensive to the disabled. And, and then, of course, the actual depictions of, um, you know, uh, uh, deformed people, which, granted, and, and we'll get into it when we talk about the plot of the movie, are, are people that are transformed by, you know, a mad scientist. But uh, I think just the idea that people's physical appearances were being used in a way to unsettle people was probably a sensitive topic i mean this was uh this 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 was you know this and it's still probably relatively sensitive you know to to a country that survived the atomic bombs um and uh <clears throat> matt i know you you were you were uh talking about the way that People who who got disfigurements from from those bombings have been mistreated, right? I mean, there's there's a whole taboo about the the, the hibakusha and just how they were perceived and how they were treated. And there's tons and tons of documentation and stories, just horrific stories about you know kids that would go to school and be made fun of, and people that couldn't get jobs. And like it's it's really well documented. So yeah. any sort of and, and I mean, you, this has happened all throughout Japanese cinema and even television. Like we talked about the band episode of Ultra Seven, it's the same kind of, it's the exact same thing. Where any sort of reference to that is, it, it always becomes a public outcry of some sort, and they end up often pulling that or just shelving it completely or banning it outright. Like you can't. The only way to see that the the Ultra Seven episode is basically to pirate it. it it's out there, but you have to know where to look. Yeah. Um. Uh, and yeah, so Toei pulled it right away and it basically just sat on a shelf for decades and every now and then, uh, in Japan, I think people probably knew about it and I know it was traded in bootleg circles, you know, some, from somehow, you know, people getting it on a, uh, dubbed VHS and, and stuff like that. <clears throat> and then, uh, it wasn't released, uh, I think, anywhere uh, until 2007 when uh, Synapse put it on DVD. And, uh, you know, Trev, I, I had rented the Synapse DVD years ago. And for whatever reason, when we interviewed Don May on If It Bleeds, I, didn't, I, sh- I should have thought to ask him, like, how he was able to i would imagine this would be a pretty big score like is that because trev is is close with don who who runs synapse is that something has this film ever come up in conversation with you guys no i can certainly ask him about it if you'd like i'm, I'm sure he'd actually be willing to do another um you know interview with us or on this show or something if you, if you yeah. want to talk to him about yeah. those those films for sure well yeah and, and he, he was putting out a lot of japanese stuff for a while mm-hmm. too um still does yeah yeah but yeah I, I i i was thinking like oh wow you know for whatever reason 
I, this didn't come up when I was like coming up with my questions for him. But yeah, I would imagine for a, a label as small as that, like being the first to release this movie that like nobody's seen in decades was probably like pretty exciting, I would think. And um <clears throat> and then yeah, there was no Japanese release until 2018. <laughs> so, uh you know, it's finally out there over there and you know, as someone that thinks studio-imposed bans is stupid, you know, I, I, you know, it's good that it's out there. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's all the, the history lesson I, I got for this, so, um, you know, I have a couple more notes and, and things to mention, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready to just talk about the movie, and since I've yapped enough, um, I will let Tom do, uh, a plot breakdown for this. Yeah, I can I can actually do it for this one, because um, you know, as crazy as this movie gets, it's possible to describe the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts, and and this is this is the part where I'm very bad a lot of times, especially with Japanese movies that I haven't seen more than once describing the plot because I don't remember anyone's name because I'm a racist, I guess. Um, And I would just say it's about a guy and a girl, but it's about a guy who is in a mental institution and he knows he isn't insane, but he doesn't know like really why he's there and he can't remember his childhood at all. And that's kind of you get the like that's kind of why he's in there is because he can't remember like where he comes from. He can't remember. I think it's like anything before the age of eight or something like that. Um, He wonders about his life as a child and ultimately he like escapes the mental institution, which doesn't seem that hard. It just seems like he just walks out. Um, <laughs> well, it's uh, the someone and you know, it's, he, cause he's not like a dangerous or yeah, violent. Someone individual. breaks into his cell to try to kill him. And like, we get the reveal for that later. And then, but I guess that guy was just stupid and like, didn't lock the door. <laughs> yeah. So he just, he just walks out. And he comes across a beautiful circus performer who has like a similar she has like similar memories to him of, you know, hey, I've seen this this cliff that you've got in a picture. Uh, I've seen this beach like I, I know that place. She's whistling a song that he knows. Yeah. And so he goes he goes to like they, they separate, I think, so he can complete his escape. But. Um, they separate for a bit and he's like, I'll meet you, you know, out in public or whatever, you know, tomorrow or whatever day it is. And when he goes to meet her as they're standing there, uh, a knife more or less just appears in her back. Right. And he's like, oh, what happened? As she, you know, collapses to the ground and everyone thinks that he killed her. So he's been basically witnessed in public killing someone. So he goes on the run while he's. Uh, on a on a train trying to evade you know being captured uh he's a fugitive at this point he comes across an obituary article of a man who is his exact identical twin and and it's it's you find out later it is actually like his brother but at the at the point that that it's in he's just like oh my god this man looks exactly like me how weird so he goes to uh, the the house or the, the 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 town where the man is. 
he finds his funeral. He waits until everyone like leaves and they're about to bury him. He digs up the the the, the corpse, puts on the robes and, that that the corpse is wearing, and he's like, "Oh my god, guys! I didn't die. I was just asleep." Um, and goes back to the house. So now he can live as this person without, you know, being being found by uh, by the the police who would presumably be looking for him for murdering a girl. Um, while he's living in this life of, uh, as this, as this man, he finds out that like this guy was cheating on his wife with one of the house servants and he has to like keep that going. But at the, you know, it's, it's all this whole thing. If he's trying to constantly figure out people are like, are you, are you sure you're okay? You know, like you're, you're using a different hand to write or whatever. Like you're eating different foods. Like everyone's very suspicious of him. Um, and then kind of out of nowhere, like all these hunchbacks start creeping around his property. Um, but he, he hears that, that song again. Right. Um, and ultimately he, he kind of starts pulling these threads of all these things, right? This, this, this guy who was cheating on his wife and, uh, this song and, um, he he like is comparing like these these this cliff and all these things and he gets someone to take him to the the island where this this uh this that he has from like his memories and stuff and that's where the movie just goes like this gets to be just basically batshit insane um we've got torrid love affairs mutilated people crazy island of malformed monstrosities sex slaves rape gold painted people deformed people illicit surgery people being treated like animals and eating grass being force-fed grass and grunting like pigs uh out of nowhere explosions hollowed out chairs inside which people hide and uh from which women sitting on get you know sexually molested but they really like it and they never question the source of the uh, sexual stimulus that they receive from these hollowed-out chairs. It's it's insanity, um, and it's all tied into this this guy, you know, having a brother out in the world and not knowing his family, and it kind of unspools this whole this whole insane family tree. Uh, without spoiling things too much. Uh, How'd I do? That's as good a job as anyone could do, I think. <laughs> uh, by the way, the I, I did learn that the thing about uh, the part where the guy goes in, in the in, in the chair and like touches the woman, that was uh, from The Human Chair, which is a short story by the same author. <laughs> That part is insane. <laughs> They're like, oh, he used to molest your wife while sitting inside this chair. And she liked it. But, like, no no one ever knew that, that there was some dude him. in the chair. She just thought every time she sat in that chair, she, she got, like, sexual pleasure from it. Yeah, that doesn't happen when you sit in chairs. <laughs> um 
So, uh, yeah, I, like I mentioned, this is a movie that I saw years and years and years ago, and for whatever reason, I didn't remember much of it, like, at all, and then when I was watching it this time, I was like, how do I not remember this? <laughs> um, but uh, since... It's probably because the plot is like like all the the mis that's the one you know when we'll maybe talk about it more but like all the mystery and all of everything is like unspooled in like five minutes of just jam-packed exposition well we get not only one exposition pack double yeah you get two like info dumps (laughs) of like explaining everything you've seen like so yeah, a lot of mystery movies they'll do that once at the end. This one does it twice, and so you're like, okay, but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, just slow down <laughs> like a little this. bit. Um, and uh, I don't know, kind of knowing where everyone kind of sits, I think there's like a hierarchy. Like I could probably tell you in order uh, about this movie. Like each of us likes it a little less or a little more than like the other person. So. Uh, like, I think, uh, I'll start with, with Matt, and then we'll, like, climb up. <laughs> so, uh, I'll go, like, Matt, Trev, me, Tom. I think that's, like, the order. So, Matt is the person that probably enjoyed the movie least. You know, I want to hear your thoughts, what, what might have worked, what might have not worked, and, uh, we'll, we'll kind of go up the, the, the chain there. <clears throat> I mean, I... It's not like I, I don't hate the movie by any means. There, there's definitely <laughs> there's a lot of visuals that are incredibly interesting, incredibly harrowing, uh, freak, just just like disturbing in many ways. Like once you get to the island, there's a lot of crazy, just crazy stuff. I think that one of the things that stuck out to me was there's a scene in a river, and there's these women swimming and they're and they're naked. I'm like, what's going on here? And then he starts the, the one character Jigoro. I'm not sure if yeah, I'm saying his name the, right, but he's the the and I'm I'm sure this comparison will probably come up later, but it, the it's very island of Doctor Moreauish, so yeah, he's like yes. the Doctor Moreau character. He's like throwing like food or like like petals of flowers in the water, and like the the women are coming up and they're trying to eat them like a fish would. And there it just like there's all kinds of that the people being painted and just like the island stuff is really interesting, and I think it's really engaging. The problem is for me, there is a lot of plot in this story like there's just a lot of meandering a lot of characters that kind of come in in the middle you know that they're there for a reason and then you find out there's this sherlock holmes-esque character that comes and he kind of puts the pieces together but it, it feels very unearned to me so by the time that you resolve the end of the story one of the things i dislike about it is specifically that exposition because it, it goes into great detail about things that you had never been told that, I, I don't know, to me, like, that character doesn't earn his place in the story. The other thing that bothers me, actually, too, is you have this wife uh, of Jigoro who ends up being the mother of the, the main character and the brother who had passed away that he took the place of. And basically she blames herself in the way that she treated her husband for his husband's actions. And the, the reason that she's, he starts malforming all these people because he was, he has this malady where his hands are webbed. And when they're married, he marries into this like rich family. 
And basically, she wants nothing to do with him. And so he basically catches her having an affair with this other person. He drags them both to this island. There's a whole bunch of craziness that happens involving eating crabs and a dead body and all kinds of just insanity right there. But by the time the movie wraps up, there's this like sort of exchange of forgiveness that I felt entirely was just unearned. And it really bothered me because this guy's like malforming people. He's treating them and making these people behave like animals. And by the end of it, it tries to wrap it up with this sort of, it is tragic, but also sort of almost happy ending where the wife blames herself. She realizes that everything was her fault. And then they exchange forgiveness. And I just, I really hated that part of the movie. Um, Also the exposition, I think is just really, it's bothersome. The thing about the wife, I, I agree, but I also, like, I hate to say this, especially if it's something that's not informed. So if I'm wrong here, someone yell at me in the email me or whatever. But I, I and it's unfortunate. Unfortunately, I, I feel like that has more to do with the gender roles of Japan, even even today, Unfortunately, like I'm, I'm getting into slip, slippery slope stuff here, so I don't want to like make too fine a point of it. But I, I feel like that is on brand for you <laughs> yeah. know period Japan and perhaps even modern day Japan. Well, I, you're you're 100 right, but just re- like just remember what had happened. He changed her up for like what is it 20 years or something, or he like basically he puts her in this cave. He allows her lover to die. They, they're chained up together. And she, he makes her eat these crabs, which are feasting on her lover's flesh. That's how she's there. <laughs> he, he specifically tells her to, to eat these things to basically survive so that she can see her child. And, like, he does all these torturous things to her. And then at the end, she's just like, hey, this was all my fault. And, and, and Bird, you're 100% right with what you said. But, like, for me, I just, I really yeah. hated that. Speci- uh, I, I felt like these characters were not redeemable at that point in the story. No, no, I, I, that's a fair reaction. I, I just, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why that doesn't work, in my opinion. Because I think Bird is right, obviously. Because when I was watching it, I, I had the same reaction, Matt. I, I do not like that ending at all with her taking all the blame on herself and us, almost as an audience being asked to forgive him. And I, but I was thinking, of course, like culturally, okay, I get what they're going for. But why it doesn't work in the film is because what you just said, the fact that they put all of the backstory into just the last 10 minutes of the movie as an exposition dump. When you get to the flashback of the relationship, there is no indication giving that she ever had any feelings for him. That we don't see any like any intimacy or love in the relationship that might have somewhat justified this sudden turn in her opinion. So when she comes out and she's just like, "Oh my god, I was wrong and I do love you." It really comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's I, I that's think, a problem with the storytelling. I, th- I, I think, think that it, would be I think it would be more like because we see in those flashbacks like she's like ashamed to have him as a husband and she doesn't want her wealthy friends to see him and stuff but like at least if we got a little bit more of like maybe like seeing what she's like when she is like just with him you know maybe if there is some tenderness to that relationship we we yeah we really don't get that yeah um, it's it's it is hinted at and i think that's kind of where i probably just forgave it maybe more than you guys cuz he does say like we were happy. Like he does say that they, he's it, it's show it's tell it's told not shown, but he says like, we were happy. We were, you know, like, and he says something like, I didn't think I belonged, but she seemed to like me or something, something like that, where 
like it it's hinted at that they at least had a uh, 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 an amicable sort of relationship, right? I mean, so he he is does feel driven to his uh, insanity because he th- he thought something that ultimately wasn't true. So well, it's hinted at. It, it's there a little bit. It's I, just, I it's wonder, not, yeah, I, I it wonder, isn't done well. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is present in the book. For, furthermore, with the expedition, like, I wonder if the book is structured the same or, like, where, like, it's, like, you find out everything in, like, or or if the, the book actually, like... The last page? Yeah, like, or well, if I, it, I wondered like, about, those I, I wondered things about that, too, it. because the, the, the character who does the second and more important... Uh, well, I don't know if it's more important. I guess it's less important? I don't know. The character does the second exposition dump, who is the, uh, turns out to be, like, an undercover detective. Um, what I found out, and I'm sure, Bird, you saw this, too, in your research, is that when they reveal who that character is, that is a famous detective character from Rampo's other novels. Like, that's, like, a... Yes. A recurring character okay. that, so, so and I that make, and that makes me wonder if that was the case in the novel or if they threw that character into this movie as a final minute surprise to be like oh look it's that character everyone knows um it doesn't work either way <laughs> just it's like right, uh, but yeah. but that's where I wonder if that's why there is that reveal yeah or or if like maybe in the novel you know you already know he's like a detective yeah. throughout it yeah like, that's yeah and i mean i'm not gonna pretend i know how to adapt a novel into a screenplay but it, it is it the, those are the kinds of things that like you do see the in even hollywood adaptations like some of these decisions that are made with you know the structure compared to the book and sometimes things make more sense sometimes things like make don't make much sense but yeah i i, w- I was thinking about that too like if the book has a structure that's as weird um yeah is it is it more of a is it more of a mystery story in the novel with this uh is like is the protagonist of the novel more more the detective who's like trying to unspool things a little bit more like a uh uh murder on the orient express type of thing or a um or a knives out situation or is it like which I think would be a little bit more engaging. I guess that can lead into my my thoughts on it overall. Because, um, like I said, I, I so I don't. It's, I I certainly don't dislike it either. It's definitely it's too weird of a film for me to not like um, right. in a certain sense. Yeah. Um, the strangeness is obviously appealing to me. Um, but and I told so. This is what I already kind of explained to Bird. An element of this was reputation preceding it. So I definitely beyond the fact of it just being banned because of you know its um depiction of deformities this is definitely a film that i've always heard described as being one of those very transgressive very intense like you won't believe how uh, insane and hard to watch this film is and i went in kind of with that mindset um really hoping to be shocked it's a film i've intended to watch for a long time and then watching it and ultimately feeling like it was more silly most of the time like i was really looking at it as a, as a very campy film um i mean early on there's a scene with those monks where the guy's uh, fake bald head is just flat out coming off in frame like horribly and i was like oh, all right well. <laughs> um and then there's just like some of the some of the visuals which I, I agree are always interesting they did not affect me on any kind of i never felt uncomfortable i really have always felt more like hmm that's interesting or oh that's kind of cool or that's funny and I was really picturing a different version of this film. I would actually be down for a remake of this with someone really trying to make the island 
as horrific as I think the film wants it to be. Um, have, like, uh, if, like, Tsukamoto, it's the, Tsukamoto, if he remade this, like, that yeah. would probably yeah. be... Like, <laughs> like, I mean, I, w- I never felt as uncomfortable as even, like, you know, like, Todd Browning's Freaks, I think, is, like, more hard, you know, it's, it's a more uncomfortable film than this. And I think part of that is the deformities we see in this, as, as Bird was saying, you know, these are all, like, or most of them are man-made deformities it's this idea that he's been experimenting on people and operating on them and it, none of them really look it just all looks like bad makeup jobs kind of nobody really comes across as like ah hard to look at um so that's part of it and then i i am with matt in that i said that this is one of those films that's convoluted without ever being confusing to me i mean i was never confused but it's definitely convoluted and that the whole the whole storyline about him taking the place of his twin it takes up a good chunk of the runtime and it does not really need to be in the film. Like ultimately it's, it's relatively pointless to the plot. You could have just told the tale of him being this person in an asylum, not remembering his past and tracking down this Island, you know, based off his memories and getting there and finding out that, Oh, he was, his father had this plan for him and everything. You don't need the entire secondary thing of him posing as the brother. It ultimately adds nothing. And so I feel like that right there sounds like something that works better in a book. Probably, probably, yeah. Um, but yeah, but ultimately, you know, like I said, if you're just going into it for, like, insanity, you know, and, like, for the visuals, you will enjoy it. It's definitely, I, I think it's it's never it's never boring. Um, I just felt like, ultimately, I was surprised how campy and silly I found it. And I, I did think, like, I really disliked, like, the last five or ten minutes or so where I felt it just got kind of unforgivably stupid. Um, I, I was really disappointed in the in the wrap-up. I will say there was a certain plot element, which I'm sure we want to tiptoe around because we don't get, get into too much of spoileries here, but um, there's a definite plot element that made me wonder if Chan Wook Park ever saw this film. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking <laughs> oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah there's some... A, a plot element that ends with an with a previously unexplained firework and explosion (laughs) (laughs) right yeah yeah let me say (laughs) say what you want about the twists or whatever not working for you the last 10 seconds where where, uh limbs on wires fly across the screen in front of fireworks uh as two characters uh randomly decide to blow themselves up is marvelous I don't care what anybody says. It's amazing. <laughs> I literally, I, I think I, I was audibly saying, "What the fuck!" Like, <laughs> the second that happened. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and as someone, and I, I will say, as someone that like, like some, like knowing, seeing, like how crazy and striking the visuals are, and just how bananas the movie is. Like, I, like I said, I am surprised. I didn't really remember much from the first time I saw it, but. So yeah, at the end, I, I kind of shared in that. Well, well, you know, that was kind of a convoluted wrap up, and yeah, you know, this, this, the way this was tied up, yeah, that doesn't really work for me. But once those limbs started flying across the screen, I was like, you know what, we're cool. It'd <laughs> be a good experiment. Somebody should do that on YouTube. I wonder if you can save any movie by having that be what it, how it ends. You know, like like think of like the worst movie you saw, and just imagine the end of it being the two main characters blowing up and their limbs flying across the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And First they, they tell everyone we're going to the fireworks mortar and <laughs> blow ourselves up. Yeah. And you're like, wait, there's a fireworks mortar. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not, it's not a thing that's previously mentioned at all. There's a, 
there's a different explosive device that's alluded to that says it's going to blow up the entire yeah, island. Yeah, there's like a yeah. self-destruct thing, like kind of how like at the end of like but, Bride but of Frankenstein. Like, We're going to go blow ourselves up with fireworks. Bye. <laughs> well, not, not only that, the way the way they tell everyone they're going to do that is by handing somebody a note, which they never, which he never had any time to write. Like he just is like, here, read this. And it's like, wait, when was this written? What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I suppose I'm next up the chain. Uh, no, I mean, the, 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 look, criticisms are valid here. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it's one that, you know, I, I, I do think it's, there, there's some unsettling things in there. I, I, I don't necessarily, there's definitely some camp. Uh, I, 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 I don't think, uh, there's as much as maybe Trev did, but, um, you know, certain things like, it's it's less the the events that take place and more just the visuals uh, and and you know kind of the overall atmosphere that that is more unsettling. Um, uh, the um, the the movie isn't the kind of thing that you see every day, and that's like why I like it because I like it. Bec- this appeals to the part of me that's like when I say I love crazy Japanese movies, it's like, yeah, this is kind of what I mean. Like, just stuff that, it doesn't always make the most sense, and it's weird, and you might not even be able to figure out what they were thinking, but uh, it's entertaining, and I, I I know Trev especially felt like, you know, there was, you know, you could probably cut a, a, a chunk of the movie uh, runtime-wise, and, and I don't necessarily disagree, but you know, all all those all the the positives kind of outweigh all that stuff for me. So it's more of a personal preference thing. I, uh, yeah, the um, the malformed men themselves are usually you know um, you know people like Trev said, like people with makeup or uh, you know two actors kind of uh, tied together. Like there's a yeah. a Siamese like a- twin uh, that is like he just he just sewed two people at the backs together. Um, uh, the most unsettling part with the the malformed men, I think, is, like, one of the first scenes that they're in, and it's, like, when he's kind of explaining, like, the labor on the island, and it's not, no one really looks f- that frightening, but, like, everyone's just kind of making these really strange sounds and, like, groans. Yeah, they're very, like, animalian like grunting noises yeah and and for whatever reason and i i don't know because like i'd have to like pause it or something and i I really didn't but like the whole time in the background there's this guy he it looks like he's painted all white and i don't know what it is but it looks like he has an enormous scrotum (laughs) And, and and just that combined with those strange sounds was like this is kind of like unsettling and weird you know but yeah it's not like something i would call scary and then and then i i i i i agree it's convoluted but i do kind of like the uh the 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 long info dumps at the end just because it's like how more absurd can can this story get (laughs) and it's like it keeps upping the grossness and the absurdity where it's like oh yeah not only did he lock his wife and her lover up in this cave but he poured crabs on the guy and made them eat the guy and made her eat the crabs and then like it just keeps getting like loonier and loonier and then it all culminates in this ending with these flying limbs and heads 
floating across the screen and screaming. And it's like, to me, that is just like, that is like the Japanese absurd lunacy that like I come to stuff like this for. Um, so I, I was all in, uh, and, and I know, um, the, the one, the, Trev found the one actor irritating, the, the Dr. Moreau surrogate, uh, who, who shows up in the next movie we're talking about also. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, uh, he's, that's, uh, Tatsumi Hijikata, um, and he was the actually the co-founder of the Buto dance movement, which is like, that's all the crazy dance mannerisms that he and the 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 mutants have um and the other dan other dancers in his troupe uh were were in those roles um and obviously like kind of how matt was talking about with you know the there is a a connection in in japan especially you know the post-war period of deformity uh, being consciously linked to the atomic bombings and and it's interesting casting and an interesting decision just because that that dance movement was kind of born out of the post-war japan it was um kind of seen as a rebellion against the more western dance dance that had kind of uh infiltrated japan it, it, they, they were kind of the dance itself was kind of representative of i guess the reforming or deforming of the human body you know being turned to ash by the bomb and kind of uh they say it it represents the fragility of human existence so you know that's just kind of an unconventional way to express that i guess um i know i know trev felt as though perhaps too much time (laughs) is dedicated to that yeah Um, that's my issue because i I understand like i i do think like budo dance can be used I mean, obviously, we've seen it used very effectively in horror, uh, in J- Japanese horror, and things like The Ring and The Grudge. Yeah, they um, still, they still, yeah, it's they something always have the ghosts still use, move with right. it. But when you just cut to him doing it for fifteen minutes on a beach, I'm like, all right, it's it moves <laughs> along, right? Um, and uh, so yeah, that, that's uh, and and it's inter- it's interesting that they got the actual like guy that. I guess founded it, which, which I don't know. I, I, this is something I didn't Google or whatever, but did it feel like he was maybe dubbed to you guys? It did to me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we, I, 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 like, like we see that in a lot of, uh, we see that sometimes in, in U S movies where maybe they'll hire a foreign actor or someone that, you know, for whatever reason, their line delivery isn't satisfactory, so someone else dubs over them. So Gina Carano in that Steven Soderbergh movie, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if I wonder if this guy was Gina Carano'd. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking, but um, but yeah, it happened, it, I mean, it happened to Linda Miller and King Kong escapes right, in the right? English yeah, dub. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I still remember her saying like she was mortified when she <laughs> she heard the voice that dubbed her uh yeah with a lot of those movies like those dub those those original audio tracks are missing it would be interesting like for a blu-ray to be like here you can listen to the you, you, someone has to have the gina carano haywire <laughs> audio still <laughs> at least right like let us let us see what that was like you know she's good enough for the mandalorian now well yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe not um 
uh, okay, well, Tom, you, I think, are the one that uh, uh, came away with the most affection for this. Yeah. So we're at the, I, you're at the top of the, the pyramid here. I think some of that is, unlike Trev, I had no knowledge of its notoriety. Did you really. even know what this was? Uh, no. Every October, <laughs> I basically send you a list of movies we want to watch, and you don't know what any of them are, and you just watch them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> except when you send me, like, War of the Gargantuas. Well, yeah. But, like, yes. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I, I didn't know what this was or anything about it coming coming to it. I mean, I obviously was able to piece together. It was about, you know... I, I thought just from the title, I was like, oh, this is going to be about like something with, you know, freaks. With basically. horrors and malformed men? Um, <laughs> so I, um, I'm going to draw a comparison point that, that please don't take it as me saying this movie is as good as that movie. But um, I really like a movie that can really successfully juxtapose almost clashing styles like parasite that was a movie that i watched and i was at times wildly amused and delighted at times i was laughing out loud at times my heart was breaking and at times i was scared like this this is a movie that i think really does that to an extent really well and it's funny because like bird was saying i was unsettled and trev was saying it's so campy and I'm sitting here like, yes, yes, it, it's it's really campy, but it is really unsettling. And all the stuff with the with him, like trying to take over his brother's life or whatever. I actually like some of that stuff, a lot of it, because it is just an interesting character study to watch someone like try to take over another person's life. And like, you know, his housemaiden is is flirting with him and he's like. Am I supposed to like did did you know the previous guy just flirt back with her? Was there a thing going on? I what am I supposed to do here because he's trying to avoid, you know, going back to an insane asylum or going to jail for murder like that all just just works for me and then it relatively seamlessly also becomes a movie where there's you know people sewn to goats and uh the ultimate plot of the antagonist of the movie is for his son to create for him a statue of a horse with (laughs) three three heads 11 tails and a living horse head as the the main central head all made out of human flesh yeah, that's and like his like life dream. <laughs> it's his lifelong dream. It's been his dream for thirty years, uh, <laughs> and like that's that's his end game here. Like he puts he puts his own son into like an insane asylum, and he almost the kid almost gets killed by. He's like, you put my son into a insane asylum, and he got killed by a bald man. Uh, he like he puts his own son into a sane asylum. He captures like m- you know dozens of beautiful women and turns them into hunchbacks. He treats people like animals. Also, he can get a horse statue to protect his island. It, it just it it all works for me. And like the I found the the crab eating stuff unsettling. I found like 
like Bird said, all the, the that dude that's painted white and and may or may weird not have an that, enlarged scrotum. <laughs> yeah, and all that weird <laughs> grunting noises. I found that like super just unsettling. I it and it just gets it it gets so crazier and crazier and crazier that eventually the unsettling does turn into campy hilarity and you're just waiting for like, Oh, what's, what's the crazy thing that's going to come next. That's going to top the previous crazy thing. And it's, you know, Oh, you poured poison down a string and then you sat in a chair and felt her up from underneath. And then, uh, he, you know, I want a horse head and, and Oh, by the way, we're just going to go blow ourselves up now Bye, like, it it just all is so off the charts and it the it does everything and it does everything well i don't know that it does fit all that together super seamlessly but like when it is a a, a drama about a guy trying to escape wrongful persecution and take on another life it it's interesting and it works for me and when it is a batshit movie about a crazy freak guy who's you know torturing his his jilted lover and everything like that also works for me and is the bridge between them perfect or anything no obviously not but like the thing all of the things that it does it does well and and yeah i just found it wildly entertaining and visually appealing well, I will say, I mean, earlier I mentioned how this guy, you know, Mike and Sano and Tsukamoto, like, this is one of the guys they were taking notes from. So, like, if you like their stuff, I definitely think this is worth checking out, kind of, to, to kind of trace that trajectory. Um, and it, it definitely has its place in history, you know, whatever you come a, a, away, away from it with. Um, so, how many possible enlarged scrotums <laughs> would you give this out of five i'm gonna go first since i'm gonna probably give it the lowest rating i'm at a two and a half now that said i will validate that i can see a lot of people enjoying it more than i did for all the reasons tom said so i'm not saying don't check it out i'm just saying that a lot of it didn't work for me but that there are some things in there that I did enjoy and that would make it probably worth watching for a lot of people. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with a three because I think if, if you're like me and you're not super into the middle chunk of this, if you can power through that, then in that last half hour, there is always something going on that is going to captivate you and, and draw your attention. Um, even if it doesn't wrap up all that amazingly. Okay. Uh, well, it I'll... wraps up amazingly. But... <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I will. Uh, I I'll go up uh, a full star from that. I'll and I'll do a four. So, Tom, where where are you gonna take us out on a high note here? Yeah, I'm I'm at a a hard four. Right. I I think it's. I just really like it, and I think it it works way more often than it doesn't. I. I can't quite push myself to a five or even a four and a half, but I'm I'm at a solid four. Okay. Um, well, let's get into our next film. Um, this one is probably a little bit more horror adjacent or light horror, um, uh, but it is the next year. Uh, it's one of the few non 
Toei films that Ishii made. Uh, and uh, this is at Nikatsu Studios, uh, probably shortly before they just collapsed into being a Roman porn studio. Um, <clears throat> and uh, this is Blind Woman's Curse, which is a vehicle for Meiko Kaji. Um, and, uh, this is, this was the genesis of this episode, because Trev was like, hey, you guys talk about Japanese horror movies in October, why don't we, why don't you if, talk about this one, I, I'll come on and talk about it. And, uh, I couldn't help but say yes, uh, just because, well, I, I mean, I'm open to ideas, I, I take most ideas that you guys throw to me, if you want to do a movie, I'm like, sure, let's do it. Um, but, you know, for Trev specifically, I know he's a big fan of this actress, and furthermore, I couldn't help but feel like we owed him a consolation prize, <laughs> uh, because a few years back, uh, we had Sonny Chiba on here, and uh, we had all our questions planned out for him, and we were like, Trev, you know, hey, you, you're a big Sonny Chiba fan, what, is there anything, and you were like, yeah, I think you guys got it covered, but I really want to know what he has to say about, you know, any memories of working with Meiko Kaji. And so Matt goes to Kentucky, <laughs> uh, in, uh, you know, he, he has a nice setup in the, uh, the back of changing the, the room. Cha- yeah, the, cha- <laughs> the changing room of an abandoned Macy's department store. <laughs> <laughs> and he sits down with so- the Sonny Chiba, and he proceeds to ask him literally every question on the list except for <laughs> Trev's question. <laughs> and so I couldn't help but feel we owed this to poor old Trev. Um, and uh, there was also a book a book about her recently, right? Uh, there was a book about her that Tom, in fact, uh, got for me. I was going to uh, say, we, wasn't that yeah. – you got that we, – we we did a Secret Santa thing. You got mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, is, is is that book more – is it more of like a, a career, like an analysis of the films, or is it more like a biography kind of thing? Um, both, but it's it's by Tom Mess, who, you know, uh, I'm sure, um, you know, fans like us will know Tom Mess from yeah. doing the, the liner notes and essays uh, within a lot of, you know – releases of kind of Japanese cult cinema and exploitation cinema. Yeah. And so, um, and, and writing a lot of great reviews of them. Um, so it's like him looking at her whole career and yeah, he goes in and, um, basically does like the stages of her career, um, and talks about like what, uh, what the, and then, yeah, he does like little mini reviews of each film where he talks about what he thinks and how effective they are. But, uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's a very short book, but you know, for, it's not like I can get a lot of English material about her. Um, so it was, it's yeah. still really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and is is this the closest thing she's done to a horror film? Um, yeah, I would say yeah. so. After this, she really moves into, um, you know, more. So, like, she found she follows this with the Stray Cat Rock series for Nakatsu, which is a uh, collection of kind of. They're all called Stray Cat Rock, but she plays a different character in each of them. They, they say they share the same cast members, but playing different characters. It's like an anthology series, mm-hmm. all about like gangs. Um, and then she obviously goes into the Female Convict Scorpion series, which is my favorite. Uh, and then Wanderkins of Butterfly and Lady Snowblood, which are obviously all more like yeah. action driven. This is obviously this is pretty action too, but like you said, there's horror elements yeah, to it. Yeah, Lady Snowblood is probably at least here, maybe over there. I don't know. Probably this what one she's is, 
mo- most known for, I would think. Yeah. Oh, Lady Snowblade is definitely what she's most for your, although I would say people should definitely check out the female comic Scorpion films, which yeah. are available on Shudder now, I believe. Um, that's a great series. Uh, this this film is significant for being her first leading role. This is like this is to Nakatsu giving her like the the bump up, and in fact they change her name for this. Uh, that's her her birth name is Masako Oda, um, and she did a few films like supporting roles under that name. And then when they decided to make her more of a, a lead, they decided to rebrand her, and Nakatsu dubbed her uh, Meiko Kaji, and this is a, this is the first lead for her. And um. Apparently, this is the third movie in a series, and uh, I wasn't yeah, able I... to find much English information. Not that I, I, I really didn't look too hard, just because I didn't. Yeah, have I gotta much guess time. that's like another. I gotta guess that's kind of like the Stray Cat Rock yeah, thing, where I'm assuming um, it's a you know thematic series. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't feel like I was missing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I guess Anything. it's considered part of the Rising Dragon series or trilogy, uh, which was part of the female Yakuza kind of subgenre. Um, the original leading lady was Hiroko Ogi, um, and uh, Ishii directed the first one, which was Rising Dragon's Iron Flesh, and then uh, 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 a guy, Masami Kuzuo, who I guess did a lot of work with Sage and Suzuki, did the second one, which is The Rising Dragon's Skin Exposed. And then, uh, for whatever reason, um, she had moved on and uh, was replaced with Meiko Kaji for this movie. But I, I, it looks like these movie, those those two film, other films are pretty obscure like i f- could find i i couldn't find much in english uh, it doesn't look like they've been released on video i don't know about in japan but definitely not here and it probably because you know they don't have like the the cult value of you know meiko kaji has you know a, a cult following uh so yeah that's probably why this is the one that like you can get on blu-ray whatever um uh but um yeah trev i mean is there anything you wanted to say about her still like uh yeah why well, i like her yeah um yeah yeah, you know. yeah for, for sure it's it again goes back to that um so this is this is really born of quentin tarantino you know um quentin tarantino is my favorite filmmaker and uh not only do i love his films but the thing i love about tarantino is obviously he is essentially a walking film historian and as uh, as, as hard as he can be to listen to sometimes <laughs> i still <laughs> sometimes, like what so. like i do love like you know anytime he has an interview or a long form you know discussion you're gonna get all these recommendations of all these films you've never heard of because he has this crazy encyclopedic knowledge and of course as, as bird was alluding to earlier he's also like a repository for knowledge about international cult cinema and exploitation cinema and because I love him so much and because I want to see where his influence come from, I don't think there's anybody whose recommendations I've listened to more over the past 20 years. I, I, you know, typically whenever I see him talking about some film that he thinks is like an, you know, kind of unrecognized masterpiece or something, I will, I will go out of my way to try and, and see that. So I've watched a lot of these old exploitation films and, and things from, from his recommendation. And when he made the, the Kill Bill films, there was obviously this discussion about how they were heavily you know, influenced by Lady Snowblood. And I'd, I'd kind of heard that name. I was a little bit familiar with like, it being a manga and stuff, but I'd never gotten around to see the films. But because of Kill Bill, I decided to track those down and watch them. I, I love those. 
And I was really taken by her. And again, I just, you know, this really goes back to me loving those kind of badass females of, you know, actresses of those of that era and those kind of exploitation, you know, something like I said, uh, like Pam Greer and uh, the Judy Browns and the Christina Lindberghs and Mike, Mike Okaji just fell right into that where there's, there's, she just kind of exudes. I'm not saying that she's not, not necessarily the most animated actress on the screen, but she just exudes this like kind of real badass vibe. I think she can like kill with a look. Obviously, she's beautiful. You know, she they always give her these great costumes in all the films she's in, and I just think she comes across very charismatic on screen. She also usually does the theme songs, uh, and so some of the music in Kill Bill, some of the more notable um, you know Japanese songs, in there are actually her songs. Um, so then I found the female Convict Scorpion series, as I said, and just completely fell in love with it. That is a series that is just wild and super inventive for just being, you know, women in prison, essentially, films, but bringing in a lot of crazy psychedelic visuals and, uh, you know, bizarre plot twists. And I just kind of went on a deep dive in her. And I just, I, I, you know, of all the stuff I've seen with her in a lead role, I really enjoyed it all. Like the Stray Cat Rock films are very fun. It's a, it's a very odd series because there's some big tonal shifts in there. Some of them are like very violent and very shocking. And then some of them are like more comedic. Although one of the craziest ones is one that's like a total comedy. And then suddenly like the last five minutes, all the characters are brutally murdered. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere. Um and yeah, I've just always been taken by her. Like I said, I just think she's there's just something that's super um, appealing about her on screen. I just always find myself drawn into her. So, uh, and this one was one that took me a while to see, even though it's her first lead role. I feel like I went through most of her series first, and then and then came back around to this one. So, but yeah, I would say if people aren't too familiar with her, definitely check her out. Uh, find you know Lady Snowblood for sure. There's a great Criterion Blu-ray set of those two films, and then like I said I believe you can find a lot of the other stuff streaming right now. All right. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Matt, do you want to give us a plot breakdown for, for this one? I will. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the, the, the gist of it is there's a... a there's a lot two, going on in this movie. So. <laughs> the, 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 the gist is that there's a Yakuza clan. There's a, a fight in the beginning of the film. And during that, um, Akame, basically the, the main the main character that we're following throughout this, she ends up trying to kill the leader and she slashes un, unknowing. She doesn't mean to, but somebody steps in the way and she kind of like slashes this lady's face. And uh, there's also a cat that appears out of nowhere and begins to, to you know, drink this woman's blood, like lick her face or lap up the blood or whatever. Um, and basically the story revolves around that person seeking out revenge and cats jumping out at people and other yakuza people fighting other i mean like that's that's kind of the gist of it and it ends and culminates with those two having a a battle at the end of the film and i I don't really want to spoil that part but like it's it's a kind of a standoff deal i mean that's that's wildly reminiscent to the battle at the end of the first kill bill hmm yes Hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it, it really it you know it touches on a lot of the i guess tropes that you see in most yakuza movies there's you know she 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 defeats this rival gang at the at the beginning which sets up the other woman being blinded which she's gonna go on her revenge spree or whatever but you also have like the guy that is kind of like smelly yeah well (laughs) we'll get to the smelly guy but there's uh there's the guy that uh is like kind of playing to these two warring factions and you know he's kind of like the mole for the the bad guys and 
um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it 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 kind of turns into I don't know. I don't want to say a slasher movie, but but the blind woman she starts to take revenge. You know, she she's tracking down members of Akami's gang, and she's cutting off. They all have a a section of a dragon tattooed across their back, and when they stand together, it it forms a full dragon. So she's cutting off these these big tattoos and like leaving them like as her I guess calling card. Um, and yeah, she's followed around by this cat, which is kind of tapping into the supernatural uh, stuff with cats in Japanese folklore. Um, and there's some talk of like, uh, you know, has a curse been placed on us? Um, but it's not really followed through. So, so that's where like the most horror ish stuff comes in, which is why I called it like light horror. Um, but it's still there and, and it, it definitely carries a little atmosphere with it. So, so this is like a kind of more like just a strange mishmash of, of genres. Um, there's, 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 all kinds of stuff right yeah there's also you know for us talking about how some of us weren't too blown away by the end of horrors of malformed men in terms of the you know the the gender politics this is a film that's a little bit more um gender progressive with i, I think there's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have obviously our two you know our two our main antagonist and our main protagonist are both women but i also like the detail of how after the the fight that starts the film we see that akami akimi sorry um ends up in prison and in prison, she kind of ends up recruiting a whole new gang of all women who, you know, are fine or decide to be very loyal to her. And they get the dragon tattooed onto their back as well. And there's so some subtle stuff, too, about, you know, her new gang being kind of all women instead of men. And the relationship between those two factions of the gangs as this whole gang seems to live together in like one complex. Um, so like little details like that. And then a lot of talk about people kind of undervaluing the, the woman who's seeking her revenge because of her gender um, and talking about how she's yeah. not feminine. So and, they don't, um, yeah. and her, yeah, her, cause she's blinded. Like even yeah. I, I seem to remember the, there being like some discriminatory stuff about her, like disability yeah. and, and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, it is. And we should, we should bring up uh, her, I don't know what you want to call it, her day job, I guess she performs in this kind of, uh, uh, circus kind of um yeah like, like circus or sideshow kind of yeah. yeah where where she'll like come on and she'll uh like do like she'll th- do knife throwing and like uh do it perfectly even though she's blind and they'll blindfold her to show the audience like hey she actually can't see um and her she has a she she basically also has like a sidekick um uh played by the Buto guy from the last movie, mm-hmm. Tatsumi uh, Hijikata. And in this, he he's he has some dialogue, but uh, they definitely utilize his unique features. Uh, and he, he plays like... She, he's basically like her hunchbacked assistant. Um, and he, like... I don't know if he has, like, some kind of mental disability or something, but, like, he's always, like... Yeah, I killed this guy, and she's like, "Why? <laughs> like, what are you stupid?" <laughs> and he's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." But yeah, he he mostly just does a lot of weird, uh, like he, he just acts weird the whole time, and um and yeah, I, I he it, I'm not sure if it's the same people, but I'm assuming that's more of his like dance troupe people that are like kind of the the other performers in the circus because mm-hmm. you get. M- because uh the the sequence is showing like them dancing and 
doing things are, are very similar to some of the sequences in Malformed Men. Um, but yeah, I, I liked him as the, the, the crazy hunchback. Um, also, uh, for most of the people listening, uh, I think the most recognizable face will probably be uh, Hideo Sunazaka, who most people know as the... Well, he's the comic relief character in this, too, but he's the comic relief (laughs) character in Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. He's the guy that is, like, obsessed with boats for whatever reason. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he's still, like, a goofball. He's the guy who gets thrown in in prison. Yeah, yeah. And wants to make the fake... The fake liquid. Yeah. Um, who is he? Who is he on this? Because I haven't seen Sea Monster in a long he's time. He's the guy. He's basically he's the guy who gets the the tail of the dragon tattoo. Yeah. He's, he's okay. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's yep. basically the only male member of the like actual the very member of the has, one. He has my favorite joke in the movie where he talks about how big his chompers are when he gets angry, <laughs> and he's like sticks out his teeth at the yeah. during the fight. Yeah. It, he also but, uh, early on gets like a bunch of popcorn shoved in his face <laughs> during like a fight in the street. Yeah, um, th- th- he's that, the comic relief. You know, and yeah, that that also uh, makes me want to bring up. I mean, not only him, but there's other, some other stuff too. Uh, this movie has a lot more comedy than Malformed Men. That so like it's con- there's like horror comedy yakuza exploitation stuff like all happening at once. Um, the other comic relief thing is like there's a weird subplot about this this guy who walks around and basically like bullies people, and he wears. He doesn't wear pants, he just wears a red loincloth, and everyone in the movie <laughs> makes comments about, like, how smelly his genitals are. Um, <laughs> did that, I, I, I don't, did that get resolved? That, the stuff with him? No, he ends up, like, teaming up with the, the, the villains, but then I don't, like, really think you yeah, ever I think he just, see like, him again. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think he just kind of disappears. Yeah. Um, also interesting, and I don't know if you guys noticed, and it is Halloween, so it's apt to, to mention... The movie takes place in the twenties, but like um, you see, like the the street markets and stuff. And there's one that seems to be selling like plastic Halloween masks. One, the one I noticed was like there's a green Frankenstein kind of mask that one of the is at one of the stands. Did anyone else notice this? No. Maybe no. I, okay. Maybe I'm crazy, but but no, the whole I, time I, I kind of did too. Yeah, the whole time it's, I was it's like, like it. It's like hanging in the middle of the. Is I think it's just supposed to be like a, a, a what do they call those masks? Oh, the, the, the like the red like demon an oni face mask. an oni the the yeah, red demon maybe. is an oni um but it's it's not like because because usually those are red but this one happens to be green yeah. Uh, well, I'll, whatever it is, I'll, if it's not a Frankenstein mask, I will continue to pretend it is. Um, but yeah, the smelly guy, like, knocks it over at some point. Um, but... It's like a, it's, I think it's supposed to be like a Hanya mask. Okay. But it just looks... I kind of know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, it, like, yeah, you don't really get a good view of it. It's usually, like, out of focus and in the background or whatever. Um... But yeah, even uh, from what I understand, even Ishii himself thought this movie was kind of like all over the place, <laughs> like uh, just in terms of like it, there's just a lot going on in here. Um, uh, that being said, I mean, I I I I think it's a a, a pretty fun 
film. Uh, Mako Kaji is a badass. Uh, you know, the smelly guy usually shows up and, like, bullies people, and he usually ends up getting humiliated or, or you know, made fun of by some woman, and, and that's all, that that's entertaining. Um, uh, or, he, like, he beats the shit out of someone and makes them smell his crotch until they... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until they pass out or something. I think the uh, like the the turncoat guy in the gang too. He's like a very good uh, antagonist. Like you definitely hate that guy every time he's on screen. So I mean, and like and purposely so, right? That's I think that's a good performance. I think he plays like the sleazebag traitor very well. Yeah, he just like you you like I I don't know much about that actor and like one of my blind spots with like older Japanese movies like I should be I should start getting into more like yakuza movies. Like I want to see a lot of the classic like Kinji Fukasaku movies. Like the mm-hmm. o- aside from Battle Royal, like the only stuff of his that I've seen is like his dumb stuff, like the green slime and it's like <laughs> he has these masterpieces that <laughs> that I am just ignorant of. But it wouldn't surprise me if that actor like was basically this guy all the time, <laughs> you know. Um and uh and like malformed men, I mean the movie looks great, you know, it, it, the the directing is really good. There's a lot of really interesting visuals. Um I think the the directing might even be a little more crisp and refined in this one. Yeah, and you definitely get more like action. You get more fighting, you know, you get like the sword fights and stuff like that, which are all like really well done. I love this film's a great example too of like uh, and it I don't know, it, it, I'm not even sure if it's like a, a stylistic choice or could have been a budget thing or whatever, but the sparring use of certain stylistic decisions. Um, when you get to the climax, the final fight, and suddenly there's just like the painted sky behind them. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, it's like a soundstage. That that is so cool, and it's great that it never happens up up until that point, because then it's just so striking. Yeah, the art direction is fantastic, and yeah, it because it 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 has that very that very Japanese like it looks fake, but it's supposed to look fake kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it has that really kind of like almost abstract matte painting and yeah it's just an it's an awesome visual yeah it rem- i had watched earlier this month i had watched quidon and it you know just visually kind of reminded me of that uh, right? quidon is so good it is yeah yeah quidon that's a, that's a good one for this time of year matt was that the first was that in our that might have been one of our first like yep. octobers right we did that a long time yeah ago. It's been. It feels like it's been twelve years now, thanks to COVID. But well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's the rare, it's the rare October episode that I'm not on. So yeah, that was that. That's so old. That that's first... before you insisted on being on every October episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I yeah. The, the this movie is if if it sounds like it's a little unfocused from our description, like. It, it, is. it is, yeah, but it also is in the way that like you get a lot, like you get your, you get quite a lot of stuff. You get crazy hunchbacks, you get crazy freak shows, you get sword fights, you get you know hot badass chicks, uh, you get you know gore, um, you get just really awesome visuals. You get like a a, a crazy cat that's always picking on people uh yeah yeah this cat is freaking crazy and it, it <laughs> and yeah aside from just kind of tapping into the the japanese like hey cats are 
you know, these creepy, ghostly things. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's no reason for this cat to be around always messing with people. But, um, but you get that. Like, you you get a lot, and uh, it it it's pretty packed with. You know, there's crazy tonal shifts. So, like, yeah, some people might be off-put by it. But, again, I think something we all liked about Malformed Men was just how, like, how wild it is. And I think, especially Japanese, like, genre cinema, I think that's why we all kind of like it. So... It's all. It is also a film, and I don't. I don't even know if I'm saying this is. I, I don't know if this is like a critique or a compliment. I think it's a film that is ultimately um, a little confused about its overall message, because uh, I think like in the final moments, it sells this very interesting. Like the climax is a very interesting take on the futility of revenge and how revenge might be unnecessary. But the rest of the film definitely is very pro revenge and, <laughs> right. and very and selling like why revenge is important. Um, so no, I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Um, I thought the end, the ending was, I'm sure the ending will probably upset some people watch it who are expecting more. Um, I thought it was an interesting way to end, but yeah, it just seemed like, well, that's a kind of, um, that came out of nowhere, but yeah, it's, it's almost anticlimactic, yeah. but I don't know at the same, it's like, it's it's that it's that kind of anticlimactic you know we'll i'll say it again like like a kill bill where you've had your or you should have had had your fill of action already you yeah, know you like you still get the fight you know just yeah yeah i i guess i i mean i can see how someone would would say it's anticlimactic but i don't know it's it's the kind of climax that because it's not what i expected like that made me like it mm-hmm. yeah you know mm-hmm. like it, it it felt fresh like the i've seen the movie before where you know okay you know either the one character gets revenge and they walk off or you know the i, I don't know it's it, it's it's strange to say like good guys versus bad guys because i don't know that any yakuza clan <laughs> we, we want to be saying like oh these are the good guys but the protag or the protagonist well, they, they do they they're working pretty hard in this film i, I wonder how conscious they were of that because they are very often telling us that this is a yakuza clan that is trying to go straight um we we're told yeah. they, would, they would never sell drugs you know um she's she so she took over the clan because her father was in charge of the clan he passed away but they talk about how his last wish was for this clan to kind of go on a straight and narrow now. So I guess you're allowed to think of them as kind of good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. They're trying to like participate in the community or whatever, like, which I don't yeah, know what, basically... what do you do at that point. You do like food drives or <laughs> bake sales. I, I don't know. They, they basically like run a, essentially they would run a casino and then also just like, protection for people like that's they're like all of the good parts of the american well i guess it's it, italian but you know like the, the the mafia right like they run it they they would run a casino and they would protect the people of that town because there's a big there's not a big plot point but there's a plot point where once what well, it's kind of a big plot point, but but once the the rival gang like frames uh, Akimi's gang for dealing opium, 
and she starts to get like cracked down on by the the police for dealing for dealing in drugs and the rival gang starts to take over there's that little thing where um they're running like a casino also but it's like crooked they were doing their dice game and they're using weighted dice and kind of constantly and they're like oh our gang would never use weighted dice you know like so there is there is that that idea of like there's ways that they, they would make money or whatever but like yeah they're on the straight and narrow right it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's that uh they're doing things that are illegal but not immoral type of thing yeah yeah um yeah i i will say this one probably st- starts to veer more into the into pink territory because we do have like some torture sequences and some cruelty towards women which i know some people are sensitive to you know they have like that opium den where they basically just keep all these prostitutes drugged up you know and numb the whole time uh but you know if if you can handle that and also like everyone gets their comeuppance you know and and you know the 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 lead girl gang is pretty badass i must say Mm mm-hmm and if nothing else, the visual of standing together and forming the dragon is pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else anyone wants to say, but uh, closing thoughts, like how many uh, how many smelly uh, crotches? <laughs> <laughs> well, both the ratings this episode were about scrotums. <laughs> Right, yeah. How many how many stinky scrotums do you give this out of five? I liked it. Uh, are you want to go first, Tom? I was just say I was gonna say I'll kick it off because I might be the lowest of anyone, and it's I I liked it. I I liked it well enough. I just think um, you know one thing is I, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's it's wildly appropriate for October and Halloween, and that that I think. Because I watched Malformed Men first, and so I kind of thought I was maybe getting in in for more of that, and for this to to veer more into, you know, Yakuza and a gang fight and action movie. I think it just it threw me a little bit, and I'll say that's probably why my rating isn't maybe a half a star higher. But there's also you know things like the, the comedy doesn't always land for me um and then there's some other things that i just you know don't love about it but i mean i also do love like it is it's it's a it's a very appropriate movie if you just like gorgeous badass femme fatales who exact swift and violent revenge while standing shoulder to shoulder with their sorority of other badass femme fatales and they make a giant dragon tattoo like that is a cool visual that's all really awesome um, I give it a, a very solid three out of five, and I would bet if I watched it again, I'd I'd probably come away liking it a little bit more with my expectations a little more calibrated, and I'd I would probably be at a three and a half. But on this viewing, I was at a three. Okay. Yeah, I actually would right there with you, Tom. I I I did enjoy it. I think though, there's some the the changes and tonal shifts at times and the comedy and things kind of threw me for a, a loop but like it's fun it's it's a it's a hearty recommendation for me like if you have any interest in some horror adjacent yakuza kind of stuff with the 
like the curse in the film, like it's 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 there. They talk about it, but it feels kind of like lip service at times because the only thing that really ties it together is the is the cat, and the cat kind of comes and goes in spots. But like, it, it's fun. I, I'd recommend it to people. There's no reason not to check it out. Um, I'll go a little bit higher with you than you guys. I'll I'll do a three and a half. Um, just, uh, and you know, a lot of what people probably wouldn't like about this movie are things that I like, you know, the imperfections in tonal shifts and just having a billion things going on at once. Like it, it, it made it so the movie was always interesting, even if it's not always the best. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a nice lean hour and 25 minutes or so. So it's, you know, it's a quick watch. It's a fun watch, and it's it's got just all kinds of stuff going on that that uh, I just think it's a good time. So I'm at a three and a half. Trev, yeah, I'm kind of I, on this one. I float between a three and a half and four. I think, and that's all. And that totally is. I just admit this is like more in my wheelhouse, right? So I'm sure a lot of this, you know, with, between these two films, is which is the the overall genre a little bit more pulled into. And I, I tend to love these like Yakuza and especially female gang Yakuza films. Um, and like I said, the, the, there's the Mako Kaji part of it all. I will say though, this is not ultimately like the best showcase for her. So I said, this is her first lead role and you can tell they're kind of testing it out a little bit. Um, so she really only gets like the opening action scene and then the, the end. And then for the rest of the film, it's really just a lot of her just kind of sitting around and being an observer to all the craziness. So I, this isn't the film I'd point to to introduce people to her. So I'll end up going with three and a half. Um, I do think it's I, I think it's fun. I think it's uh, definitely something to see for people who enjoy just this kind of strange cinema. But if you like it, there's there's certainly better examples of this kind of movie. But yeah, it's still a good time. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess that that wraps us up. Um, Trev, I meant to do this at the beginning. But better late than never. Um, where can people? I, I want you. I want to give you a chance to to talk about your new podcast real quick. Where can so where can people find you? You know, on out in the interwebs. Sure. Uh, so I do have two podcasts that I that I host now. Um, I'll just start with the other one that people have heard me talk about in here before. I still am doing um, Days of Future podcast, which is an X Men show where me and my buddy Joe uh, every other week just talk about. Um, Anything like just random stuff about X-Men, you know, we'll, we'll pick uh, lately we've been trying to pick like kind of more obscure X-Men titles and miniseries that we don't feel like people talk about enough and review those. Obviously, whenever there is a bit of movie news, we'll get into that. We recently both saw New Mutants and reviewed Which it. Which you said is a great October oh, recommendation, one of the right? Finest horror <laughs> films you can see for sure. Um, definitely. That's why you can tell they're so confident. That's why they're putting the Blu-ray out in November. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, don't, uh, spoiler alert, don't see New Mutants. You don't need to. Um, uh, and then my new show is Failure to Franchise. Uh, so Failure to Franchise is me and a friend, Chris, and every other week we are looking at movies that were meant to start a new Hollywood franchise and for one reason or another did not. And so we will look at the film and talk about how we feel about the film and then get into what went wrong? Was it a box office issue? Was it behind the scenes drama? Was it just the wrong time for this kind of franchise? We try to analyze why we believe there was no more entries. Um, it's been really fun so far. Just there's only a few episodes, but we've got a, a huge slate of films ahead of us to, to work on. And this month we're doing like the Platinum Dunes remakes of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, in November, we will be doing both Judge Dredd movies. Um, and then a lot of cool stuff planned next year. All right. No, uh, yeah. And the I've, Waterworld episode. Um, just just to th- 
throw a random one out there. The Waterworld episode, like, I've I've only ever I'm kind of one of those people that is only just familiar with Waterworld as like this weird piece of crap that nobody likes, right? That flopped super hard, mm-hmm. right? And listening to that episode, I was like, hey, I, I was like, damn, I kind of want to watch Waterworld now, which, I mean, <laughs> which maybe not your intention. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but, uh, but it was just a really, really, like, enlightening, like, I, I never even knew it was meant to start a franchise in the first place. And then just all the, you know, all the issues that it had while it was being filmed, like, that was a really fascinating episode to listen to. Um, the other ones, the other ones also were good. It's just, you know, here I like I didn't know that that was supposed to launch a franchise. And so learning about all of that stuff, because um, the other ones I was just more a little more familiar with, especially yeah. Ghostbusters and John Carter. Like I knew that those were supposed to start franchises and I knew kind of what had gone wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Waterworld one was bonkers. Yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to soon we'll start getting into films that like neither of us know too much about. You know, there's like there's especially in that like realm of 2000s like young adult adaptations. There's so many of those that neither of us have seen, and we're very yeah. excited to dive when into. When everyone those. was and, trying to find the next Harry Potter, so it was yeah. like they were licensing every YA series. Yeah, or even or even the next Twilight. Right, that mm-hmm. happened for yeah. a while too. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, check it out. I mean, that, that's, uh, everything I've listened to has been good and, you know, it is, it is one of those podcasts where you will learn stuff too. So, uh, we try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you guys, well, I know, I know for the Friday the 13th one, your co-host Chris was like, you know, I never watched Friday the 13th, so I'm going to watch a bunch of these, uh, you know, uh, and I know you guys are doing the 98 Godzilla and I just, I just hope he's nice to my to my boy (laughs) (laughs) if you know i don't know if he's planning on diving in but you know just just be kind (laughs) i believe i I can't remember for sure i believe he's i I believe he's okay with the the monsterverse films if nothing else okay well i mean hey that's better than the 98 but (laughs) you know if he decides to watch like you know godzilla versus guy or something you know (laughs) i'm just gonna tell him to watch uh he'll ask me what do you what do i need to watch to understand 98 and you know i'm gonna say i'm just godzilla versus megagirus that's all you need uh but yeah no um yeah check that out uh and yeah i guess i guess i guess we're done here so uh thanks for joining us and yeah we'll we'll see you next time thank you for listening to the kaiju transmissions podcast please take a moment to rate and review us on itunes podbean and stitcher make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes you can also check us out on twitter at kt underscore podcast you can check us out on instagram and facebook at kaiju transmissions and you can email us at kaiju transmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments and we will see you next time